All right, we're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. We'll get there in a minute. Yeah, we've done it for years. I know it kind of opens automatically in my Bible. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, that's right. You know what? We are going to do a review of Matthew today. No, we won't do that. I'm not going to cover Ephesians in one day either. Now, it's good to be back. It's been weird. I mean, we were gone last week, but I wasn't in the pulpit the week before. So two weeks in a row, it's been unusual. So it's good to be back with you all. And uh, we had a great time seeing Jake. I just talked to him this morning. He kind of passed around the phone to the setup crew, and he says hi to everybody. And, uh, yeah, it was really good seeing him. He is, uh, so we went and see him in Chicago. He graduated from boot camp there, and now he's in South Carolina at Charleston. And uh, he just, he starts classes on Tuesday. So he's in like a college experience. He's eight hours of classes every day, Monday through Friday, and he's going to be uh, learning the nuke stuff. So it's really cool because he can't bring ho- uh, books back out of the classroom. He can't take them out of the classroom or anything because it's all classified. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that, but there you go. You know about Jake now. So it's uh, kind of fun. He's having a great time. And, uh, but it's really good to be back. We're not travelers, so it's, oh, it's so good to be back. So, hey, let's uh, start off. We're in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We're kicking off a series on pe- a being a peacemaking church. And today we're going to be looking at how real peace is from God and it's founded on Christ and His work. So let's uh, start with Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the head of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hey, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for what we've uh, already done this morning, singing your praises. That's good for our hearts. We must do it. We were designed to do it. And it's one of those things we will be doing for all eternity in perfect harmony together with all the saints, singing your praises and, and serving you and being with you. God, we can't wait for that. Lord, we, we thank you that uh, we have the privilege to call you Father and to, to worship you and to praise your name out loud. You are Yahweh, the God who's made himself known personally to be the existent, all-powerful, holy God. You are the God that we sing hallelujah to, praise the Lord, the one that we yell hosanna to, God's hosanna, meaning God save us. And Lord, we, we just, what a privilege. So, Lord, we, we want to now shift into the, the, uh, the Word, Your Word, Your, your re- revelation to us, the living and powerful Word. God, I pray that we would continue with hearts of worship, having hearts devoted, hearts focused, hearts intentional to, to listen, to study, to hear. 
so that, Lord, that we would know you better, that we would love you more, that we would obey you more, more readily, more eagerly, Lord, that we would look to serve you. So, Lord, I, I thank you for, uh, as we go through this series, Lord, that we have your word to not only convict us, but to strengthen us, Lord, to give us clarity of thought, clarity of thinking, and, and Lord, work this, this special, this topic we go through, just this being a peacemaking church, being a peacemaking people, work that in us. So we pray that, Lord, as we uh, dig in now, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and transform us, Lord, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wanted to do, there's been several years now where I've been wanting to do a, a peacemaking series, um, but it's only been highlighted by the last couple years. It, it doesn't, you don't have to have your, you know, TV on for long or radio or open up Facebook or anything for you to see that especially America, but around the world it's true too, but America, there is not a lot of peace. I'm not making that up, am I? You guys are with me? Yeah, I mean, if I want to have a, a heart that's at rest, enjoying just a peace of mind for a moment, I just turn off the TV and I don't you know, read any online news or anything like that because it is just constant conflict everywhere. And... Um, you know, it, so this is one of those things that, that we have to offer as a church, as a people who are marked by Jesus being a peacemaking people. And, and again, I'll, I'll define more and more of what that means, but, but this is a topic too uh, that's so important for the church as we relate to each other because naturally we do not want to get along. Naturally, we want, you, we want others to get along with what I want. I'll get along with you as long as you do what I want, right? Because we're very self-centered, self-oriented. And um, so any church that displays the love of God in Christ Jesus in practical ways, especially peace in the church. And peace does not mean the absence of conflict, by the way. You, you have to, we have to settle that in our minds. Peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Peace means walking through conflict in a way that honors God in, in, in ways that you know, as we change and grow and learn to compromise and, and, and learn to put others first and their interests. So, and we'll be talking about some of these topics as we go on. But, but this topic of peace, of people who are peacemakers in our society, in this city, at our, in our work relationships, and especially here within the church and in our families is such a critical topic, so needed. It will be one of the things that will make us stand out so people say, what in the world is it with these Christians? Okay, so that's, I wanted to address this because we need to work at that. We always do. We always need to be growing and changing. And, uh, you know, because we have something to offer in Jesus Christ that the world doesn't have. I, I Googled peace this week. I, when it pops up, there was 1.08 billion hits. The world is longing for peace. When we talk about peace, I just wanted to look, what, what am I talking about, the definition? I just use Google Dictionary. I have the stuff up here for you. It means freedom from disturbance, quiet and tranquility. Synonyms 
already said tranquility, calm, restfulness, peace and quiet, peacefulness, quietness, right? That's one of the definitions. Another one is freedom from or the cessation of war or violence. Synonyms like law and order, lawfulness, order, peacefulness, peaceableness, harmony. Ooh, there, right? Nonviolence, a formal concord, a treaty. Peace, is, and this is from Wikipedia. Peace is the concept of harmony in the absence of hostility. In a behavioral sense, peace is a lack of conflict and freedom from fear of violence between individuals and heterogeneous social groups. So that's kind of the social or the, the world's definition of peace, okay? So we are, I, I want to get into what the Bible says, but I also wanted to put up some of the images that I saw, right? You know, you got the peace, hey, <laughs> peace, you know, in the 60s and 70s. I remember that as a kid, right? The peace symbol. No, no, go back, go back. I didn't go there yet. Arthur. You know, we got the International Peace Day a couple years ago. There's the Peace Corps. There's the world at peace, you know. We've got, oh, coexist, all of them live together in harmony. Are any of these bad ideas necessarily? No. But how they define what peace is and how you get to it, that's the problem, right? So that's just, that's just peace amongst, indiv- you know, amongst people. But also, now you can go. There you go. We also have, we want peace for in, within ourselves, Right? You know, we got the, the yoga, namaste kind of stuff going on, inner peace, peace of mind. Do, would we like that as well? Well, absolutely. But again, how it's defined and how you get it is the problem if you look at the world's answers. I mean, again, there's so many different ways of finding peace when you look on Google and if it's absence of the Lord and of Jesus Christ, they won't work. All right, let's go to the next slide. All right, there we go. Okay, now we're back on. So that was just taking a look at what is peace according to the world and what is, is there a longing for it? And absolutely there is. But we, when, when you start looking around, it doesn't take, take you long to find out that true peace is missing in this world, right? True peace is. I mean, people, they want an end of conflict, whether it be international conflicts, right? It, they said that there has been, oh man, I forgot to record this. I talked about this a long time ago. As far as peace treaties, there have been in the last 200 years, I don't know how many thousands of peace treaties made between governments that have been broken. Man is not good at keeping peace, right? How many of you have experienced a broken peace in your families? Okay, that was lame. You're not listening. Everyone get your hand up, and then I'll ask the question again. How many of you have experienced broken peace in your families? We all have. Now, some worse than others, for sure, but we've all experienced it. And then how many of you have experienced broken relationships with friends, former friends, right? We all have. That's just, that is endemic to mankind. We're good at being selfish and good at breaking peace. But the thing is, too, is that there's a sense of there's, when there's no peace, there's insecurity, too, right? In relationships, you know, you know that, you know, you have somebody you want to be friends with, but you also have a history of broken friendships. So any friendships you want to form, there's always that sense of insecurity. You have to take a risk, right? Because the peace could be broken. 
Right? There's a longing for peace, a longing to end this insecurity. Something permanent, right? We, 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 I was talking to Taylor and her friend. We drove out to a soccer game yesterday, and they were talking about some old friends. And, and I was just like, well, how come you're not friends with so-and-so anymore? It said, well, and they kind of explained it to me. And it's just, you, you look back over your lives, and you just see broken friendships. Not all of them are bad. It's just you moved, and it's just hard to maintain. But some of them are bad. Any, experienced, any of you experienced that? Broken friendships? Yeah, the longer you live, the more you'll experience it. So, you know, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just read you this uh, little, because this is from my hometown, uh, and I went to this place. When I saw this, I thought this was interesting. Thousands of people each year visit the Winchester Mansion in San Jose, California. That's where I'm from. You guys ever heard of that, the Winchester Mystery House? Okay. This massive structure was built by Sarah Winchester, the widow of the gun company owner. For 38 years, from 1884 until her death in 1922, the house was under constant construction. Teams of carpenters, masons, and other workers were employed around the clock. Various stories have been told about the reason for this unusual practice. Most center on Mrs. Winchester's belief that she either was haunted or would be haunted by the ghosts of those killed by her husband's weapons unless she kept building her house. Others claim that she thought she would not die as long as the building continued. Whatever the reason, she continued ordering more renovations and construction as long as she lived. There are more than 10,000 windows in that mansion, doorways and stairs that lead to blank walls, and some 160 rooms in total. It is estimated she spent more than $70 million in today's money, I'd say it's probably closer to almost $100 million, on largely pointless construction, all in a desperate search for peace that was ultimately doomed to fail. Many people today are seeking peace through equally fruitless means. They turn to pleasure, drugs, alcohol, and the list just goes on of how they try to find peace. Like the staircases that lead nowhere in this mansion, pursuing such paths will never bring peace. We'll never find the peace we're hoping for unless we go to the right source. He's called the Prince of Peace, right? When we keep talking about that. But the bottom line, the thing that we most long for as human beings is that inner peace, and that's the ending of guilt. We've talked about that several times. The Bible says that all mankind knows two things. One, that there's a God that they must answer to. And the second thing, according to Romans 2, is that they are guilty before that God. Knowing right and wrong, we all know that we've done something wrong. And because of that, we are culpable. We are guilty. And we all want that peace from that guilt. That, that, because guilt just eats at you. So... But before we move into what the Bible will say, let me, let me look at uh, what peace is biblically and also a related word in the Bible. It's reconciliation. You guys ever heard the word reconciliation? Good. Well, here's, first of all, here's peace. The attribute of the absence of conflict and the presence of harmony. In the Old Testament, it was shalom, peace or welfare is what it means. Uh, it was the human flourishing in this earthly life, health, large family, prosperity, peace with enemies, and innumerable divine blessings. Peace for the righteous stood in contrast with its absence of peace for the wicked. 
According to the New Testament, justification brings peace with God. Justification is that word that means you are declared not guilty, you're declared innocent. It's a courtroom scene when you hear that word, okay? Uh, let's see. Moreover, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, ruling out unintelligible speech, purposelessness, disorderly conduct, and violations of the authority-submission relationship in the church. Order and decency should reign with the Spirit giving such peace. You guys get that? That's an overall sense of peace. Now, when you heard that definition, I said something earlier that you should say, wait, Chris, your definition disagrees with something you said earlier. You guys catch it? I said peace is not the absence of, ah, we'll talk about that. Okay? We'll get to that at some point. Just keep that in the back of your mind. Let's look at reconciliation. With respect to the doctrine of salvation, one aspect of the, is, is of, recon, of the atonement of Jesus Christ is reconciliation. It's set against the backdrop of enmity. What does enmity mean? War. Okay? So reconciliation has a backdrop of two, two parties at war. Okay? So reconciliation means reconciling because there's been war. Because of human sin, there is hostility between God and His human creatures. The need is for someone to remove that antagonism and restore peace between these two warring parties. God acted through Him, Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Having reconciled the world to Himself... God sends his friends to announce the gospel of reconciliation. So also, you look at the, these kind of uh, synonyms or uh, understandings with atonement, mediator, and peace. All right? So those are, that's, that's what we're looking at here. The, 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 the conflict is between two warring parties, scripturally. The most important conflict is which, who are the two warring parties? God and man. We'll dig into that a little bit, but here's the deal. Some people are like, well, I'm not at war with God, you know, if you talk to non-Christians. The Bible says it doesn't matter if you're, you don't feel like you're at war with Him. Here's the deal. God's at war with you. Hear that again. If you're not a Christian, what is your stand, status with God? That You ever heard the word, he's, you're under His wrath? Well, look at some verses that say that. That's the New Testament. God is at war with you. Why? Because of our sin. Because of our rebellion. That word rebellion has a, what's the picture behind that? War. Okay? So again, when I say that in our culture, we're like, well, what do you mean God's at war with us? We always like the picture of man shaking his fist at God. Well, that's true, but here's the deal. God is at war with us. Unless something changes. And that's what we'll dig in today as we keep going on, right? Matter of fact, we're going to go into it right now. I'm looking at my notes here. We're at war with God whether we feel like it or not. But here's the deal. God does step in. And, and we pre I preached on this passage. Oh, no, I haven't preached on this. I'm going to at some point. But listen to this. Listen for the war and reconciliation language in just this passage. I'm not preaching on this today. But listen to this one section. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, 
Romans chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 4 is about our ability to be righteous before God because of faith. Abraham is the example of faith. He believed God and God credited as righteousness, okay? You believe your mind, okay? You believe it. You have to believe in God through Jesus Christ, okay? And we are going to look at some other stuff here too. But the whole point is that because of this faith that God has provided, all right, we can be in a right standing with him. That's what Romans 5 starts talking about. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared not guilty, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one way to have peace with God. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Meaning, when we stand before God, we have a grace standing. Grace is what? Free gift from God. So when we stand before God, it's not because you've earned peace. Jesus earned that peace. And it says we stand before Him in grace. Who gave you that grace? God did. Will He ever take it away? No. I'm being loud, I know. (laughs) Because we're at war. No, I'm just kidding. And here's the deal. Because of this grace standing, and we rejoice... In hope of glory of God. When do we get to have that glory of God? Do we get it now? We get it partially, but when do we get it fully? At Either at His second coming or when we die and we're raised with Him. So this talks about the future. So God not only saves us from our past and gives us a grace standing now, this verse is saying that we have a guaranteed peace into the future. And who guarantees it? God does, not us. Okay? Because when we do sin, what do we most, we start wondering about? Oh, did I, am I, where do I, how do I stand with God? It's verses like these that have to remind us of what God has done for us. Okay? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, we do? Knowing that suffering produces what? Don't waste your suffering, folks. God doesn't turn his back on you in cancer. In death of a loved one, in loss of a job, in conflict with your, name the person's name. Don't waste your suffering because God is still at work in you. Romans 8, 28, you guys remember that verse? We know that God works all things together for the good, for those who are called or who love God and are called according to his purpose. So in, in the suffering, God is still at work to do what? To produce Christ-like character. That's Romans 8, 29. It says the good that he's working is to be more like Jesus. Here it says endurance. And that endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. You can still have hope even in the darkest of times. Why? Because your, your, your trust, your longing, your security does not rest on you. It rests on the God who is working in you and makes these promises. And hope does not put us to shame, meaning we won't be disappointed. It's going to produce exactly what God said He would. It's because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. What were you given at at salvation, it says right there? The Holy Spirit, God Himself. I'm looking, if I'm looking at you and you're a Christian, I'm not God, I can't see you perfectly. But if you name Jesus Christ and you've confessed Him and you're following Him, your hopes in Him, 
to true conversion. I'm looking at people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And according to Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, He says, hey, if you love me and abide in me, oh, the Father and I will abide in you. So who dwells in you if you're a Christian? The Trinity. Isn't that amazing? You guys, we're, we're talking about things that are mind-boggling. Because, okay, when I look in the mirror, I don't like too much anymore, and actually never really did, I don't see someone who's, it looks like the Trinity lives inside. I see guys getting older, scars, you know, extra, you know, twice as much as me there used to be, you know. But, but you know what I'm saying? But that's why we need Scripture. We need Scripture to tell us you got to put your feelings away on this, folks. You may not feel this way, but this is what is true. That's why I preach the Bible. Otherwise, I might try to come up with real fun stories and stuff. I'm not a good storyteller, so yeah, it wouldn't last long. I have to teach God's Word because He's the only one we can trust. Let's just keep reading here. This is is just verse 5. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear that? It doesn't say at, when we, while we were getting better and more lovable, then Jesus died for us. It doesn't say that. It's while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a, for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, still at war, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the what of God? The wrath of God. Chris, stop bringing up all the harsh stuff. You know, we have to bring up the harsh stuff. When we start seeing what our situation truly is without God stepping in, it makes what we get even better. We were under the wrath of God. God was at war with us until Jesus stepped in. And we are saved. We are justified by His blood. But it doesn't end there. We're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are at peace with God. We are in His family. Two weeks ago, we found out we were adopted Heard last week, Romans, especially chapter 1 alone of Ephesians. You've chosen, you've been predestined, you're elected, foreknown. Think about those words, you guys. If you are a Christian, that is true about you. Because God decided, not you, God decided. Do you understand His love for you in Christ Jesus? We're going to look at some more of that today. Peace with God. And this is just from the MacArthur Study Bible. I read this and was like, oh my goodness, what a great 
little statement. It's not a subjective internal sense of calm and serenity that's being talked about in Romans chapter 5, but an external objective reality. God has declared himself to be at war with every human being because of man's sinful rebellion against him and his laws. But the first great result of justification is that the sinner's war with God has ended how long? Forever. Scripture refers to the end of this conflict as a person's being reconciled to God. See, without that war being ended, you can't have internal subjective peace. Do you get that? Man, with all of his solutions to find peace, will never, ever find that peace unless they turn to Jesus because he's the one that ended the most important war. And then we can find peace in our hearts. And that's what we're going to look at now. True peace is found in the Prince of Peace. Isn't that great? That's one of his titles. The Prince of Peace. And that's where we're going to dig into this passage just a little bit more. Again, to, oh, by the way, this series is not my usual. We're going to pick a, you know, a, buy a book and we're just going to preach right through it. So we're going to be jumping around to different passages. So it's known more as a, a topical series. And I'm not, I hate topical. I'm not really good at that. So if we jump around a lot, well, just for eight weeks, all right? So hang in there. But we're going to look at some great passages that will be good for us to dwell on. So let me read again Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God. Who is the image? Okay, that word means the exact imprint. Jesus, when he's he, talking to Philip, he says, hey, when you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father. Wow. A man said that. When you look at me, you see God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the head of all creation. That's what firstborn means there. For by Him all things were created. So in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who was doing the creating? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They were all there. John 1.1 says that. Genesis 1, and, and, verse, and who was there? It says, and the Spirit was hovering over the, voice, or over the surface of the deep. The Trinity was creating. Jesus was part of it. He was the agent of creation. All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And it just goes on. Everything was created. So if everything was created, was Jesus created? No. Okay, good. Got the right answer. No. It says all things were created by him. Okay? So he's eternal. So that right there answers your question. Your, yeah, that helps you with your response to several cults. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know that, right? Jesus is a created being in their, in their teaching. Okay, just, just sticking through here. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body. He's the head of this church. Not Chris Brunzeel, not Patrick, not Scott. Jesus is. He is the beginning, the firstborn, the one with head status from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's the point. He is to be the number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Not only, he wasn't just partially God, he was fully God and fully man. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. God's point through Jesus was to 
find this reconciliation. The war would be ended. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm starting actually with verse 20 as we walk through this. God's heart, God's heart, that's the first blank on your outlines there, all right? God is the peacemaker, not us, not Gandhi, not Mother Teresa. God is the one. He's, his heart is for peace. He didn't just say, oh, I think we'll, I'll, I'll come up with a peace plan and, and here's the treaty. No, he didn't. That was his plan, as we found out, before when? The foundation of the world. God is the peacemaker. It's his heart to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is important to God. It's his plan of redemption to bring reconciliation and peace. It's his priority. That's why I want to talk about being a peacemaking church. Yes, what God says is a priority has to be our priority. Now, how we make this peace is very important. The church has the key to peace. It's the gospel. But we'll get there. We're not there yet. But we have to see that God is the initiator. I just have some passages to read to you. Psalm 147, 14. God makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. God is a peacemaker. For God so what the world? Loved the world. He so loved the world that he did what? He, his love sprung into action. That's real love. Love is not just words. It's action. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The world be ended. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 15, 33, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Paul saying goodbye to the Corinthian church. Be complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. This is a great benediction. I'm using it today. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's called the God of peace. The God of peace. <laughs> so he's, that's his heart. The next thing is that God, he's, he's provided peace, right? And that is through Jesus and his sacrifice. It says, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when God wanted to come up with a peace plan, and he sent his son. We understand it's costly to God. What did it cost him? His son. Again, I, I've said this, and it's so silly, but I, I love you guys. And again, if, if, if a, a speeding bus were coming at you with no brakes, I might push you out of the way and maybe die myself, but I would never throw my son at you to push you out of the way. Why? I love my son more than I love you. Does that make sense? And that's from an earthly perspective. That's not to be crass, but you understand that, right? 
I mean, I, but, but what did God do? But what did God do? <laughs> Much more than that, because the bus hits and it's done. He was on a cross for us. He, three years of rejection and suffering, mocking. And he was beaten and tortured, and he was on a cross for six hours. And not only that, he took on our sin. He took on, listen to this, the full wrath of God, it says. It was poured out on him. That's what the darkness, we talked about that a few weeks ago. That darkness was when the wrath of God, wow, he provided our peace. It's carried out by Christ, the Prince of Peace. I mean, that's one of his titles, you know, we all read that at Christmas time. And notice this, this emissary sent by God, his credentials. I've read it to you from, first, you know, from Colossians 1, 15 through 20 there. Look at his credentials. This isn't some like, you know, low-ranking soldier, private first class, who did something dumb and he has to go pay the price. He sent his son. That's how important peace is to, to God. That's how much he loves us. And listen to what the sacrifice for peace accomplished. I've mentioned it, but I'm going to keep mentioning because we have to get this burned into our brains. When we say we're saved, we have to understand what we're saved from and all the effects of it. But now the righteousness of God has been displayed, manifested, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, you can't get this righteousness through the law is what he's saying. The righteousness of God through faith in, Lord Je- in the Lord Jesus Christ for all who believed. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because of this Jesus, we are justified by his grace as a gift. Why are you justified? Because you earned it? Because you're earning it? Because you deserve it? No, it's by his grace. And just to make it sure, make sure we understand, by His grace as a gift. It's like saying grace, grace. A gift is something given. We don't buy it. If we buy it, it means that we bought it. It's, not, it's, not, it's earned then. It's by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That means payment. To satisfy God's justice but as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. How do you receive salvation? By faith. And why did He do this? This was to show God's righteousness. He is righteous and holy and just. Because it, formerly in His divine forbearance, His patience, He passed over former sins. Were any people saved and going to heaven before Jesus came? 2,000 years ago. Were any saved? Why were they saved? Faith in the promises. But here it says, it's because, actually here it tells us, because of his divine forbearance. He passed over their sins because here's the deal. They believed in him, but their sins still weren't paid for. Abraham's sins were not paid for. When were they paid for? When Jesus came 2,000 years later. But he believed in God and believed that he would be saved by obeying God and and trusting in his promises. And God says, okay, that faith is going to be fulfilled 
because I'm going to send the perfect sacrifice in the future. All those saints who brought sacrifices to the temple, those godly people before Jesus died, did that the blood of the, the animals pay for their sins? No, it was supposed to be a picture that they needed blood, but it couldn't be animal blood. It had to be human blood, and it had to be perfect human blood. Why do I say that? Because once you sin, you don't have perfect human blood anymore. I know I'm not being very theologically correct in the words I'm using, but I'm trying to be pictured. That blood had to be shed because life is in the blood. But I couldn't pay for your sins. I sin. I deserve to die. That's why Jesus, when he died, that, it says that God, he, 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 he blessed the faithfulness of these people who trusted. God said, I have to bring sacrifices for the forgiveness of my sins. I love God. I know I've sinned. I want to honor him. Here's my sacrifice. What does God do? Say, I forgive you. But it was really paid for later when Jesus came. That's why it says in Hebrews that Jesus, when he offered the sacrifice, it says that he sat down. In the temple, where they would bring the sacrifices, the priests inside the temple never sat down. Why? Because it was a picture. You're always, there is, you have to keep working. Those sins are never paid for. That's why Hebrews takes such a, spends so much time talking about Jesus as the great high priest. When he came, he came as the perfect high priest. He came bringing the perfect sacrifice. Oh, by the way, it was himself. And then when he offered it, God said, up, done, forgiven. And Jesus was able to sit down. See, there's only one person who could go into the Holy of Holies in the temple, the, great, the high priest. But when he offered the, on the Day of Atonement, one day per year, he had to go in and leave quickly. That's why that picture says that Jesus walked in, provided the sacrifice, and he sat down. And matter of fact, he says that he says, you can come to my throne of grace boldly, if you're a Christian, boldly come to this, because he's sitting, the picture's supposed to be sitting on the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God. The work is completed. You can come to him anytime you want to find what? Mercy, help, grace in your time of need. That's what he accomplished, bringing peace. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This passage, Romans 3, 21 through 26, has the word substitution in there. What does that mean? He steps in on our behalf. He's our substitute. We needed a substitute. We only need one, Jesus Christ. He provides redemption. He buys, it's a picture of buying back a slave from the slave market. That's what he does by his blood justification. It's in this passage, declaring not guilty, you're innocent in the eyes of God. Satisfaction. God is the holy judge. He sees the sin, declares there must be a payment for that sin. Jesus satisfies that payment with his death. Reconciliation. The two warring parties are now at peace. Isn't that cool? I think there's one more slide. That's what the Prince of Peace does. How would you like to be at war with God anymore, folks? And the cornerstone I've talked about, the cornerstone of our hope 
is the gospel of peace. The only true foundation of peace is the peace that Jesus himself gives. Matter of fact, I love this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The broken treaties, the false promises, the false guarantees, the selfishness that's behind the scenes, the hidden agendas. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When he makes a guarantee of peace, what does it mean? You can count on it. You can count on it. He will not break his treaty. The only true foundation is the peace of peace is the gospel. We all know about the, we probably talked, I don't know if you got to verse 15 in Ephesians 6 last week, but you guys have heard the, the armor of God. What are your feet fitted with? With the gospel of peace. Okay, here's the deal. The picture there is from a Roman soldier, and he'd be wearing all this, this his outfit was for war. And they would march forward, but have you ever seen pictures of like, uh, and I'm not saying go watch Gladiator, I loved it, but you know, it's, but in the battlefield it shows them, it's all muddy, the guys are falling down. The Roman soldiers would wear sandals with nails on the bottom so they could stand their ground and not be slipping all over the place. The gospel of peace is that which we can go forward with at the confidence of God as his army. This is spiritual warfare, not against people, but against the spiritual forces. But here's the deal. We stand firm because we've got the gospel of peace. What's on your helmet? What's your helmet? Our salvation, and there's all this. But you've got to understand, the gospel of peace is what makes us stand our ground in this warfare. We have the prince of peace. We march forward as his people, and the gospel are the things that helps us not lose ground. We stand firm. It says, it says, stand firm, therefore, and then having done everything, stand. When you're fighting and you're exhausted, just don't give up ground. Just stand on the gospel. He's our peace giver, our peace bringer, our peace sacrifice. And we have that, and we have that to offer. Oh, wow. You know what? I, let me just show you. I just had some fun with this. When we, sell, when we have baptisms, you know what we're celebrating? People who have stepped into peace. And when I, when I was doing this, I was just thinking of some illustrations. I was like, oh my goodness, I just wanted to show, and I just went digging through some files. You got Jake here, Taylor. We got April Shuss up there. That was a beach baptism. We got Sonny Shearer up there. Oh, we got yeah, Debbie here recently. That was the most recent one. Next one, next slide. We have Bob Barrier at his house, uh, what, three years ago? Next slide, or two years ago? Then we have, oh yeah, Ed, Ed's up there. I told you he'd be in there, Ed, right? We got Callie, we've got Mariana, we got Billy. Isn't that fun? But that's what baptism is. It's a declaration, the war is over. I belong, I confess. That word confess has this picture behind it, this war picture. There's no more war. I confess him as my king. I'm in his family now. Isn't that cool? That is part of what's being declared. It's the victory of God in my life, and I belong to him. I'm no longer at war with him. And that's what we declare to a world that needs this peace. Matter of fact, that goes into my next point, God's commission. We are given this message of peace. We're ambassadors, it says. We have this ministry of reconciliation. War's over if you turn to Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5, 19-20. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. They've been declared guilt, or innocent now, not guilty anymore. And entrusting now, not just are you saved, but now we have a job to do. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the call right there that you as a Christian say, we are begging you, be reconciled to God. That's one side. There's also the command, you must repent and believe. True peace should be demonstrated in the church and in our lives. Okay, and that's the last point here, point three there. Let me just read you a few things. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul was in prison when he was writing this letter to the Ephesians, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, that's, those are pretty good attitudes that we should be walking. That's how we should be displaying. But here's the deal. Why you do this? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in what? The bond of peace. We are commanded not to make peace in the church, but to maintain the peace in the church. He's talking to the church here. Who produced the peace? The Spirit did. When you become a Christian, you're saved, you're, but you're united to the church. And when you're in a local church, you are united to the people here. We are brothers and sisters. We have peace, but we have to work hard at maintaining the peace. The longer we're around each other, the more potential for conflict. So we have to work at it. Bless you. Let me move on to just the the list of things here. I'm, I'm out of time, so let me just read you. Peace, first of all, is blessed by God. Do you guys want God's blessing? Do you want God's blessing? Well, we got the first, one of the first beatitudes, well, not the first, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. Peace is promised from God experientially in trials if we'll pray for it, right? Peace is promised. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Mean a calm spirit is what he's talking about there, even though you're in trials. The Lord is at hand. He's come close to you. He's near you in your trials. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, how? By prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. He's talking about people in trials here. Let your request be made known to God. You need to call out to God. And here's the deal. What will he do? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. The world doesn't understand it. The world can't give it because it doesn't know this God. But the peace of God is available to Christians. And if they pray with with all prayers and supplications, yet with thanksgiving, God, I'm in this trial, but thank you because I know you're working in it to change me. But God, I need your help. Please give me peace. What does it say? Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Guard, that's a military word. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is promised. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. So how many of you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you? If you're a Christian, raise your hand. Thank you. You have the peace inside you, but here's the deal. 
The fruit singular of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's not fruits. So if you have the Spirit, this is what can come out in your life more and more, obviously, over time as you cooperate and obey the Holy Spirit. He works this in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, (sighs) self-control. Against such things there is no law. He produces that in us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is a reflection in us of the character of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for what? They shall be called the sons of God. People see them and say, oh, they're peacemakers. I know Chris Brunzia. When he played soccer, he wasn't a peacemaker. God must have done something in him. I went to a soccer game the last two days. Oh, that old Chris wanted to come out. Woo, baby. James 3, 17 to 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How many times is peace repeated in just two verses? Three times. What's the point? Be a peacemaker and see what God can do in you and through you. Peace is to be pursued. Psalm 34, 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Uh, I I could read you passage after passage. They're up there, but I have to keep moving here so I can end this on time. Strive for peace with everyone, Hebrews 12, 14, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Matthew 5, 23 through 24 says, look, if you're here at church, and you think you're doing your religious duty, but you're in conflict with somebody at the church, it says stop, drop, and roll. Stop what you're doing, contact that person, and make peace. Now, if they don't want to make peace, that's okay, but you have to to do your part. So what? I think I've hit it pretty hard, but let's just walk through this real quick. The world is longing for true peace real, lasting peace, not the fake temporary peace that the world offers in seminars, books, and celebrities. No, their and our only hope is found in the true and lasting peace that God provided for us in Jesus Christ through his sacrificial substitutionary death and victorious resurrection. That's salvific peace. Okay, and we're not just talking this series about how to be saved. That's the place, that's where real peace starts. But that's not the end of what this series is about. We must see conflicts differently. In conflicts now, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the peace of God, the reconciling and real peace in Jesus Christ, because we can show real peace. You guys get that? We are saved, but we are surely not perfect, right? There's going to be conflict. We can demonstrate God's character amongst our church here in our relationships by pursuing peace, pursuing reconciliation with each other, restoration. Those words, oh my goodness, the world needs it. The world needs it. May God give us his grace to be peacemakers, pointing people to the Prince of Peace, showing his forgiveness and reconciliation and peace in our daily lives. May we glorify him in this way. May we be a bunch a church of a bunch of peacemakers. So the last part, you can read the most of it, but the question is, are you a peacemaker? You have to be honest with yourself. Self-evaluation. Do you 
bring peace or do you bring conflict generally? Are you someone who's, who's just, God, is, God uses you to help others find peace? We've got to ask these questions. If you are a peacemaker, keep doing it. Get better at it. If you're not, let's learn it. Yeah? Again, you guys got to understand, people, we have a reputation as a church of a loving church. And we got to, let's keep it up. But here's the deal. Sin will creep in if we rest on our laurels. Oh, yeah, we got it covered. No, we don't. We have a good, we have a great reputation. Let's keep it up. But it means we have to be eager to maintain the unity of what? The bond of the, the bond, the maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It means we have to work at it, folks. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, thank you for the peace we have in you, the peace we can have in our lives, the peace we can have in our relationships, the peace we can have in this church, the peace we can bring to people by announcing salvation through you. So Lord, help us to be a a light, truly to shine. May peace be one of those distinctive marks that, that people see and just say, wow, in this turbulent culture, Lord, may peace be something that we offer through you, Lord Jesus. We love you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.